Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Zealous State of Mind podcast. You're the Guru of Keynes, also part of the West West Network. Today's episode is brought to you by the West West Network. You can check out all our latest podcasts, articles, and everything that's happening at westwest.com. Um, there's been some recent podcasts from Success Recipe, uh, the back of the 135 playlist, the music one, um, the assessment podcast to do with like mental health and things like that. So get along to the our socials, um, the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Check out what's happening with our latest podcast, all from a Polynesian perspective. Today's guest is Logan Borica. He's a fitness coach and nutritionist. He's worked with the Tall Ferns. He's uh, works with the New Zealand Tall Blacks as basketball um, strength and good conditioning coach. He worked this year with the Auckland Husk- Huskies and the Harbour Breeze. He's done a lot of study, a lot of research and strength conditioning. He was a former athlete himself in basketball, and now he's uh, dedicating uh, himself to being the best strength and conditioning coach he can be. Uh, we talk about his background, his upbringing, uh, that sort of thing, his early days in basketball. Also lessons learned, ups and downs along the way, which naturally happens. And then I ask him about something that I'm pretty curious about, it's just injury prevention, training like teens and up-and-coming athletes so he goes into um, some detail about that injury prevention things you can do things to be aware of and things um, I mean even for older athletes as well that uh, should always keep in mind and um, you know be on our game and then we just sort of close out with uh, his his goals for the future and uh, yeah this guy's overcome a lot of things and He's done a lot. He's only 27, and he's done. He's got a degree. Uh, he's worked with professional athletes in basketball and, and various sports, and uh, yeah, he's still very hungry and uh, looking to achieve a lot in, in, in the strength conditioning field. But yeah, if yeah, if you enjoy the show, be sure to share it, like um, like it, uh, give us some feedback. But um, that's basically it, Logan Bodica. All right, guys, thank you. Zealous, zealous state of mind. This is the zealous state of mind. Zealous state of mind. Yeah, it's the state of mind. This is the zealous state of mind. Zealous state of mind. Dude, man, um, thanks for jumping on, Logan. Um, yeah, just if you want to give us a little intro, you know, if, um, you know, some some of your upbringing and your background, and then then we'll go from there. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, my upbringing, I mean, I grew up out in West Auckland. So I went to primary school out in um, Waimauku. So I'm, I'm a Westie at heart. Um, always been in Auckland, always lived in Auckland, always lived out West. Um, come from a, a single, well, my mum was a single mum. It's basically my, me, my sister, and um, my half-sister who doesn't live with me, she is a, a different mum, but I come from a very small family um, growing up and I, I shifted around a lot to different schools. Like I, I went to Massey High School, I went to 
Liston. I went to Rangitoto College, um, played there with Isaac Fotu. And then I actually went to high school in the States. So back when I was playing basketball, which was my main love back then with sport, and I played for all the New Zealand teams under 16, under 17, under 18. But back then, if we wanted to get a scholarship or a Division One scholarship, we had to go uh, look elsewhere. It was very hard to find opportunities here in New Zealand. And I was in the same class as Stephen Adams, Isaac Fotu, a lot of those those top guys that they were they were the best in, in, in our class and they got opportunities um, presented to them because they were so good at what they at their positions. But for a lot of us guys that were sort of in the middle ground, we had to look elsewhere and go overseas. So I went to high school overseas in a prep school. I loved it over there. And um, that's where I really found my love for strength conditioning. Because when I was growing up, obviously, we didn't really have uh, gym class. We don't have we don't have the traditional American style introduction to weight training over here. So for me, really, I mean, I did a little bit with a few coaches, but I didn't really get immersed into that sort of environment until I went to the to the states, and so that's where where my love for training and um, strength conditioning and uh, I love the fact I was building muscle. I'd never had muscle my whole life. And then I started building a bit of muscle. So that was awesome. But to see that in my last year at high school over there was like, was, was amazing. Cause I was able to develop a lot of specific qualities that then carried over to my sport. And then I was playing for AAU teams over there. I actually got, um, I was very lucky to receive a red shirt offer from Wichita state, which I turned down. Um, and I turned that down just for, because of personal reasons life got a bit hectic for me when I came back to Auckland uh, my mum got a bit ill and she was a bit sick and there's a few things going on that I just I just stopped loving basketball which was it was interesting because I just came back and I just I just stopped I never really really thought deeply about why but I just knew that I, I didn't love the game like I like I like I did so that sort of just faded and then from there I looked at well, well, what, well, I worked in a timber yard at Pine Pack in Kimu, um, and I did that for about, I think it was a year or that summer, um, and I just trained with myself in the gym, and I was just a gym noob. Um, Love seeing all the different, different um, adaptations that it was causing to my body and the strength I was gaining and the confidence. For me, it was confidence, but um, yeah, I was, a real, I was a real science nerd too. I used to go on YouTube and look up different things and I used to watch watch a lot of different uh, researchers and lecturers, a lot of Eric Helms stuff back then, which I used to love, uh, really into nutrition. And then I decided I wanted to go to um, university. So I went to AUT. Unfortunately, I had a bit of a problem there and I've never been the most academic and I wouldn't say, even now I would say, say I'm not the most academic, but I basically when I came from America, my transcript wasn't able to cross over. And so basically when that didn't cross over correctly, I had to do a whole year in a diploma. So I basically had to repeat high school at university just to get entry into undergrad. I was just like, what the? But anyway, I had to do a whole year of that. And then that's when I was towards the end of that in my diploma of sport and recreation, I got an opportunity to work at Club Physical. Do you remember Club Physical? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're still around, but they're not a they're not a big gym like they used to be. So I got an opportunity to work at Club Physical Albany, and I was probably I just turned 
I was always young for my year. So I think I, around then I just turned 18. And um, yeah, I got an opportunity to work as a personal trainer, but technically we were instructors. So we had clients would get paid minimum wage, $14 an hour back then or whatever it was. And then if we had a client sign up from us or with us through the gym, we'd get paid $8 commission for that hour. So it was pretty, it was good for me being someone who's just starting out in the industry, but compared to being self-employed and what the rates are now, it's, it's, it's not that great, but it helped pay off the student loans so is what it is. And that's where I used to work under um, two trainers, Kate Irvine, Alma Porter, who were my mentors back then. And they, Kate was one of the best trainers in club physical um, back then in the entire branch. And so was uh, Alma Porter, who has a background in uh, strongman, bodybuilding, uh, strength conditioning. He has a background in a lot of those areas. And I learned under those two. And that's how I was really able to, to develop. So it was almost like an internship. And I did that working while studying. I did that over, I think it was two years, two and a half years. And then City Fitness came and took over. So City Fitness came and took over Club Physical. And then I, in my last years at university, I got straight thrown into self-employment because when City Fitness came in, basically all the trainers in their model are under a self-employed uh, sort of scheme. And so we had eight weeks to transition then into uh, self-employment. And um, yeah, I was a business owner while I was at uni, which was <laughs> it was pretty one of the hardest times in my life, but also one of the biggest growth opportunities for me to at I think I was only 22 when that happened as to become a business owner at that age and get thrown in the deep end and it was just sink or swim it was a fight or flight it was you know you either either become a you become a trainer that's independent and can grow his own business or you just you give up and you that's it you can't really, or you, you go work at F45, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you could go do something else, you know? So it's just one of those things that, I mean, I was very grateful to have a lot of people around me at that time that were, that were helping me and that were providing the mentor mentoring I need needed through that period of my life. Um, but also, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I did it the right way. And the issue today, I think, with a lot of trainers is that the issue now in the industry is that you do a two, 10 week course and you go straight into self employment, which, if you're a young trainer, that's probably not the best pathway to go through. It's the best pathway to go through is get educated, but also look for internship opportunities and look for roles in which you can learn as you're growing. Because I'm still learning. Um, I don't know. I definitely don't know everything and I'm still finding my way in the industry as we as we speak and even I still have mentors now like Dr. Stephen Bird who I who I contact um he's one of the best exercise scientists in the world who I contact for any extra advice but you've always got to have someone above you that knows more than you and you've got to figure out a way or a path to be able to go down to to, to sort of to sort of find that um uh, that growth opportunity so yeah so for me I completed my degree and then I think just with, with life and everything for that, as soon as I completed my degree, I was like, what's next? And I'd been working with, I mean, obviously um, at the moment I specialize, or I like to specialize a lot working with basketball players specifically, but I've worked with a number of different athletes from wrestling, archery, 
uh, soccer or football, um, even American football athletes. Um, rugby, I love working with rugby athletes because their technique's shocking. I love, I love having to correct them. Um, their ego is quite big too. No, I'm just joking. But they, 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 they love lifting heavy. Um, so I love tapering them back a bit and just showing them how to do things properly. Um, basketball athletes especially is one of those um, passions of mine just because I played the sport. And I never got the opportunities that these guys have now. And also, we never had people like myself. That I, We never had strength conditioning coaches back then. We had basketball coaches that implemented strength conditioning within their workouts, but we never had people you could go to and seek out that, okay, you go see this guy. He's going to work on your mechanics. He's going to work on uh, specific areas of your physical capabilities that are going to enhance your athletic performance. We never had that. So, I mean, for me, it's like I wanted to... I wanted to be that guy in the industry, but I also, I also would say that, yeah, I just wanted to be someone of um, inspiration for a lot of the young athletes to come to. They can seek advice. They have the nutrition. They have the training. They have all that to sort of draw upon. So, for me, it's like I wanted to provide what I never had, really. Um, so yeah, I I basically. Uh, once I once I finished my degree, I worked for a few years. I got the awesome opportunity to work with City Fitness, and I worked worked in a teaching role with uh, NASM, so National Academy of Sports Medicine. So City Fitness teaches the National Academy of Sports Medicine course, and I was working for them as not only a teacher, but a basically a head management role. So we used to recruit young trainers, train them, and then bring them into the clubs. So that was quite cool. I did that for about two years. Until last year in COVID, I switched to a contract and I got made redundant last year, which, which wasn't that great, um, but it's life. So I basically basically had to then go back into full-time self-employment as a trainer, which I was already. Um, but then I got the opportunity to work with professional teams. So I said, okay, what's the next step for me in my career? What do I enjoy doing? And so now I'm shifting my focus for strength conditioning, not only for individuals, but also for these sport teams, and which I'm learning lots. I worked under Chris Johns last year, who's a strength conditioning specialist, but also um, a physio. And he taught me lots last year. So that was a massive growth learning um, curve for me to work under him with the Auckland Huskies. And then I, I while well, I also worked with athletes before that, but um, which I is a completely different story. I can name a lot, but Corey Webster, Jack Salt, a lot of these athletes I've learned from through the past. Um, and I also worked with the Tall Ferns for the Olympic qualifiers. Through the Tall Ferns or work, working with um, some of those girls, I was able to get opportunity working with the Tall Blacks. So that was the next step. Unfortunately, because of COVID, it's just like, yeah, it's, <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't been able to do much. So right before this lockdown, we were supposed to go away for the FIBA Asia Cup uh, qualifiers, um, but that got cancelled. So I was supposed to be in quarantine right now. We would have just came back, but that all got cancelled. So we're hopefully looking for something in November. Um, but yeah, I mean, my story's um, taken ups and downs. Is it's It's been a really long journey, um, but I'm very thankful for where I'm, at, I'm, I'm currently at. Um, and currently today, it's 
as we speak, I'm currently doing my master's pathway. Um, well, it's more of a postgrad. It's basically a new program they launched at AUT. My grades probably weren't good enough to, to, to get access into this pathway um, because at university, I really struggled balancing both university and, and full-time self-employment. So um, I had okay grades. I wouldn't say they're, 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 they're prestige enough to get entry, but because of my CV and what I've done in the industry, I leverage that to get entry into um, this course. So I'm currently doing that and hopefully I can continue with it. It's pretty hard. Uh, it's a lot of science. It's a lot of thinking. I haven't studied in three years, four years now. So going back into full-time or part-time study with, you know, like full attention and focus is, is really difficult. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's sort of my story and where I'm at currently. Oh, that's cool, man. It's, you've done a lot, man. How, how old are you now? You're pretty young, eh? You've done a lot for a young person. Yeah, yeah, I'm still quite, I'm still quite young. So it's quite funny because um, I get that quite a bit. I'm only 27. Yeah, yeah. 27. So it's, it's quite, it's, it's good to be able to do or have the experience I've had at the age of I'm currently at. But also it's very hard to get that experience in New Zealand. Like it's just, I've been very lucky. Yeah, yeah. You've had a lot of great experiences and uh, you know, you learn a lot and you've done a lot of awesome stuff. You went to America when you were 16 or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so I went to America when I just turned, uh, just turned 17. Yeah. Yeah. How, how was that? Like being a young fellow, you know, sort of being on your own. Um, oh, it was pretty, it was interesting because um, I had two brothers um, that passed away. Like I, I never met them. Um so, thank, you know, thankfully, I never met them. But my mum had um, two sons before me that passed away at a very, very um, young age. And um, she's, always, she's always been very attentive towards me just because of that, I think. So um, I think the hardest thing was for her, for me leaving back then, especially being only 17. Because um, I was like, I'm the, I was the man of the house, basically. Like, it was just me, my mum, my sister. So, um, back then, it was it was really hard for her, but also hard for me to sort of leave her behind um, back then. Yeah. So, it was, it was definitely leaving the nest at a really young age. Like, a lot of kids, you know, they go to college at 18 or they're just turning 19. But I went when I was 17. And it was a really good growth learning um, curve for me because I had to cook. I had to clean had to organize my own schedules. The school provided at the canteens so like meals for us and stuff, but I had to do a lot of shopping and things on my own back then. Um, so I had to, I was, I was really immersed into the real world back then, which was really good for me at a young age. Um, so yeah, it was just good to, it was a good life experience, really. Man, you've overcome a lot. Eh? Mm -hmm. Do you think like that's why you've been so driven and um, successful, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, be the man of the house pretty at a young age and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think there's a lot of things that um, attribute to what where I'm at currently. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of setbacks, which I haven't really talked about um, in terms of my career. So I've had a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of missed opportunities, and like I said, I was made redundant last year, so I had to fully reassess where where my whole career is going to turn, you know. And I've I've been lucky to sort of shift that around. Um, but uh, with with the breakers, I nearly actually had an opportunity there. So that's how I got the opportunity to work with Corey Webster. Um, 
he's one of probably one of the best athletes I've and I've been very lucky to, to actually work with him but he's one of my favorite athletes I've ever worked with um we basically I had an interview with Dylan Boucher and um I got the opportunity thankfully from Dylan to train Corey before the 2019 FIBA World Cup and um Corey had his best outing yet he was injury free um he, he I think he was like second in the tournament for points per game or something like that crazy but he, he he had a really really good tournament so a lot of his because he's an he was an aging athlete or he is an aging athlete a lot of his um training was focused around prehab strengthening of his hip um just little stuff to help influence his game and a long longevity in the game mm. so um i was very lucky to get that but also um i actually lost when, when, I, when they bring me back in, that's when they hired the new head coach uh, for the breakers, uh, Dan Shamir. So they bring me back in and I actually, uh, I didn't get the job um, just because I was looked at as too young and too inexperienced. Um, and I think that was the biggest one is that I just haven't worked with, I had, I, back then, I hadn't worked with sport teams before, back in 2019. Yeah. And that really... I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm a very passionate person. It makes me quite, I get quite emotional um, if, I, if, I don't really, if I don't really achieve what I want to achieve. And I, but it also gives me a lot of hunger and drive to do more. But because I didn't get that, I was like, okay, I need to figure out a way to make my CV more attractive to these sport teams. And how am I going to do that? So, um, and in New Zealand, it's very hard because these opportunities only get given to people who have done their masters, people who have done their PhDs, people who have, who have connections. It's all about who you know. So, I think that's um, that's the one thing that that really affected me back then, but also allowed me to have the motivation to continue forward. But that was a setback that was not only horrible at the time, but it was really good for me now looking back on it. So um, yeah, so I basically. Didn't get that, but I also, um, I basically last year I got the job with the Huskies, Auckland Huskies, which is the NZ, new NZNBL franchise. And then through that, I've been able to network more through the basketball scene. And so now, due to the connections I've built up, I've got those connections. So if there are other roles coming up towards strength and conditioning or whatever that may be, they're there. And that's the biggest thing I could recommend to coaches is build those connections from even when from your own university, which I never did. Um, I didn't build those connections in the sporting world, but that's also because I didn't know I wanted to work in the sporting world. I didn't know I wanted to work in basketball. So um, it's one thing I've had to do later on later in my career, but it's also really paid off. Really, really paid off. What so, was the point that you sort of knew you wanted to go down that route of you know strength conditioning working? Um, mainly it was it was from working with a lot of young athletes, but it wasn't until I worked with Jack Salt, who he's um, he's now over with the Brisbane Bullets. Um, so Jack Salt back then he was in his sophomore year um, at Virginia University. They won the championship. What's that? They won the championship. Yeah, yeah. So I saw him after his uh, no, well, I think it was after his junior oh freshman year. So he redshirted his first year, and then it was his freshman year. And I think I saw him after his freshman year. Then he was going to his sophomore year. So I saw him around that time, and he 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 had a lot of low back issues, and Jack's had a lot of problems over his career. 
Um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me talking too much about it. Um, but he, he had a lot of back issues back then, which we had to sort of look at and address. But his biggest thing is he wanted to grow into his body and he wanted to get his body right. He wanted to reduce body fat and he wanted to get a little bit more meat on him um, to battle with the other bigs in, in the league. Because um, he was a little bit, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say he was light. I would say he was he had that skinny fat sort of body. T- he has that skinny fat sort of uh, body type. He's like me. If I don't train, I just I just put on weight like 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 crazy, um, and then I also lose a lot of muscle. So for him, he he was a real party head in his freshman year. So um, we had to really address his nutrition. We had to look at that. Do an overall needs analysis for him. Look at his nutrition. Look at how what weight he needs to be to be optimal for his playing shape um and just little things like that and then from there he just grew and grew and grew into uh, a monster so his last year at virginia he was playing guys like zion williamson um yeah zion williamson he was he was playing a lot of the guys that are now in the nba and he was doing a great job at defending them and that was that was his biggest asset to that team was defense and so he had to really prime his body for that sort of position but any player you work with you've got to look at the position you've got to look at the demands for that position and also understand what qualities they need to develop um, so yeah he he's he's had a great career he's had a lot of ups and downs um, but he's with the Brisbane Bullets now so he's done really well um, talking about uh, you know he was his his back injuries. So, so sort of moving into that area, like um, ankles, knees, and hips, are sort of like common ones in like basketball, netball, I guess those courts, uh, you know, volleyball, those court sports. Yeah. Um, what, what are some like tips, I guess, maybe, you know, you're sort of in high school, you're starting to get serious about the sport. So it's some things that, um, you know, young guys and girls could be doing to help prevent those, uh, you know, those injuries. You know, yeah. Pumping, running, pounding, that sort of stuff yeah i mean it it really depends on the age that we're talking about again i'm not a physio so i don't like to um talk in absolutes but the biggest thing for especially younger athletes is proprioceptive um awareness understanding um you know you look at basketball injuries in general and um you look at a lot of the research they've done it even in the WNBA. There's a lot of the 70%, say at least 70% of the injuries are lower extremity. So if we look at from the hip down or lower back down, that's where a lot of the injuries are occurring. So you think of stability through the kinetic chain, you look at your hip, you look at the ankle, you look at the knee. Generally with the, the knee, the knee does whatever the ankle and or the knee is based on ankle and hip stability, but also neuromuscular control and body awareness. So for a lot of young athletes, they need to develop movement pattern awareness and also muscle activation of the prime movers do they know what's working at at each specific point do they know how to move in the right plane of motion just little things that that really translate to their mechanics on court um and you get you get even get top athletes like like a basketball athlete coming in and you just say do a squat for me they can't squat but you get them out on the court and they can do a windmill they can do (laughs) they can do a windmill they can do, uh, you know, like a, like a, like they can shoot a three-point jump shot and get, I don't know, 15, 15 inches off the ground. They can, um, they can do a lot of things that that a lot of normal people can't do. But 
they can't squat efficiently. So you look at a lot of the athletes and the requirements, a lot of them, the athletes will have elastic capabilities developed. Um, and then when talking about elastic capabilities, they will be very reactive. They will be very springy, very bouncy, but they won't have proper control of their body mechanics. So for those type of athletes, you want to develop passive strength-based capabilities. So you want to be able to be able to enhance strength and activation of the working muscles to produce and an, an, uh, develop stability. But you get someone that, we get a rugby player that is the opposite of that, then you, and you want to improve their running speed or you want to improve um, their jumping or vertical jump height, then you would look at developing those elastic capabilities and elastic components and reactive awareness. But again, it's just, a, it depends on the athlete and in terms of injury prevention, it really comes down to each individual athlete. You know, you can't really standardize it. But in saying that, the best way to prevent injury is to, is to, is to shrink train, is to do some type of movement pattern um, development outside of your sport. Whether that's squatting, does the athlete know how to squat? Do they know how to hinge? Do they know how to move load, load overhead? while keeping stability of the core and through the trunk? Do they know how to synchronize activation of their core and their glute at the same time when they're performing a movement? And you look at the demands even for, for most sports, a lot of sports require not only rotational strength but they and rotational power but they and stability, but they also require anti-rotational strength, stability and power. So, uh, or stability, sorry, not power, but the ability to be able to control, you know, the hip and the core and in terms of resisting external forces, that's also a massive um, key component for a lot of, especially even younger athletes. And a simple exercise like anti-rotation exercise you could do for a younger athlete would be a push-up and alternating shoulder taps. You know, that's, anti, that's an anti-rotation core exercise. It's, it's not a shoulder exercise, it's a core exercise. But you get a lot of athletes and even top athletes and you say, can you activate your core? And they just look at you like, you know, how do I do that? So dead bugs um, and a lot of even components from even, I would say, functional fitness and CrossFit um, translate over when, you, when you're not doing it for time and you're just focusing on technique. Um, a lot of components from physio and prehab transfer over. So I don't like to specialize in any type of training. I take a lot from different aspects of what I've learned over the years. I mean, I've done a bit of bodybuilding. I've done a bit of powerlifting. I've done a bit of Olympic lifting on Richie Patterson's course. So I like to, I like to look at everything and say, okay, what, what's, what does that athlete need specifically and what do they need to develop? And then set out a progression from there. But you can't say, you know, I mean, if someone's got a back, got back pain, you can't say this is standardized for everyone. For Jack Salt, they may, that may be him doing just line alternated quadruped opposites, which is um, the term for that's a bird dog, but the technical terms are quadruped opposite. So if you get him doing that without any rotation of his pelvis and he has perfect alignment and stability, that's a great core exercise for him. And he does that three times a week. He still does that. So we got him doing that, dead bugs, uh, line dead bugs, just basic, you know, anti-extension, anti-rotation work that's going to help him understand how his core needs to stabilize. So a lot of it's intrinsic too. Um, the athlete needs to develop what's called neuromuscular awareness, um, understand, 
you know, if they, if they work a muscle, what should be working, you know? Um, and I think you look at, you look at components of um, what you see on Instagram. There's so much different stuff um, for injury prevention, for athletic development, but you look at, as a pyramid, you'd look at movement foundations and mechanics would be the main thing for a lot of the younger athletes. Then you look at developing, you know, strength endurance qualities. Um, then you'd look at developing, you know, when an athlete wants to go to say college, you'd want to get them to build a little bit of muscle. You want an introduction to Olympic lifts, Olympic lifts. Um, you'd want them doing uh, basic plyometrics, um, even in the early phases of youth, but you want them doing basic plyometrics prof proficiently. Can they land on a box and they can stabilize and they can land and hold it for three seconds. Um, when they land on the ground, is it, is it nice and quiet? Are they absorbing eccentric force? Um, eccentric absorption, it's called. And then if they do a depth jump, can they pop and that, that they react really quickly or are they slow? So again, every athlete will do things differently, but it's just finding that progression, you know, and the last progression would be that speed power component. How do you, how do you take an exercise and then individualize that for the athlete to develop those areas. Olympic lifting is a great one. The problem with Olympic lifting in most sports, especially rugby, which I would call out right, I like to call out rugby a lot, um, would probably be performed the, the worst um, in terms of technique. So Olympic lifting is great. It's one of those things that even for myself, I'm still working on teaching athletes. Like I can always improve my teaching. Um, but it's one of those things that um, it's very advanced and if you can get an athlete at a, at a younger age and get them to do it even just with a broomstick if you, or a dowel if you can get them to do it with that uh, proficiently that's an expression of power that's an expression of speed and that's an expression of triple extension so um, if you can get a younger athlete and you can take them through that that's great but you've got to be really careful of adding load as a, as a practitioner or as a strength coach um, so Techniques, number one, movement foundations, mechanics. Then you look at adding load, you develop strength endurance, speed endurance. Then you develop all the other qualities that the athlete may need, depending on their sport. Mm. But you've got to really look at the athlete individually, go through a needs analysis. What does the athlete want versus what does the athlete need? And I get a lot of athletes because, I mean, I've, I've built, I've changed a lot of athletes' bodies over the years. And that's, I think it's just due to, me having um, both nutrition background and strength conditioning or training background. But I've, I've done a lot of work with um, athletes on their bodies and I've changed their bodies. And a lot of athletes come to me and say, I want to look like this dude. I want to look like him. But that's not actually what you need right now. You need to be, be able to just work on the basics, work on how to land properly, how to, how to absorb force, how to jump um, what does your squat look like? What does your hinge look like? Can you load your posterior chain effectively when you hinge? So it's just really basic things that coaches um, and athletes need to be aware of. You know, you look at um, like the knees over toes stuff on Instagram at the moment, that stuff's blowing up. Um, but it's just one of those things that you wouldn't do full lengthening range of motion work in a, in a season with an athlete. You wouldn't always do that in season because if you did that in season, um, then you're loading the tendons and ligaments right before they might have a game on Friday. 
So why are you overloading tendons and ligaments right before you've got a game on Friday or you've got a hard training the next day? So every type of training has their has their has their you know evidence uh, for injury prevention, for performance, whatever it may be. But you've got to understand when's the right time to implement that and what what does the athlete need really? That's awesome, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that like you said, there's no one one size for all and thanks for nah. breaking it down um it's something i've been um looking into a lot like i um got an acl injury when i was like i'm 34 now so i think it was about 10 years ago when i was 24 and um it's i've never been the same since pretty much you know, yeah I've been able to do everything still but it's still did you have the reconstruction or you got I the did, i got they pulled some um hemi out and then um used that to... yeah yeah back together and um how long were you out for um six months like that i could probably year full year probably full year like six months i could do stuff but not not at um yeah i think it's going back to my remember back to my memory book um i think it's around nine months because i've got a current i won't name the athlete but i do have a current athlete going through acl um rehabilitation at the moment who i'm working with probably one of the top physios in New Zealand and in, in ACL rehab, um, who was my mentor last year. I talked about Chris Johns. He's, he's looking after him as well. So I'm actually taking this athlete through his progressions with Chris and under his guidance, um, but who, who's one of the top physios in New Zealand, but he, yeah, the, with, with ACLs, it's, it's a touch and go. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of, things that can go wrong it depends on your surgeon you know a lot of a lot of surgeons don't 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 take into account that the athlete or the person actually wants to return to sport and so they just they'll butch you but that's in terms of a question for me it's it's one of those things that in the nine month mark that's where if if an athlete returns later than nine months he's more likely to return back to sport in in a good condition and with the movement patterns still intact, if he's been training them through or he's been progressing them through his rehab. But any earlier than nine months, the, the chance of you actually redoing the ACL is even higher. So, um, yeah, that, that injury reoccurring is a lot higher before nine. I think it's nine months, but don't quote me on that. But it's definitely one of those things that as soon as you've had surgery, you can't just stay in bed. You've got to be up moving. You've got to go through progressions of can you get full extension at the knee again um, and then developing, you know, your squat movement pattern just with your body weight again and just, you know, working, strengthening the hip, you know, um, understanding that the quad muscles um, need to strengthen over time. So a lot of those little things and then even returning back to plyometrics, you know, hopping, landing. When you hop and you do a hop, your hip should take a lot of the load in order to protect the knee. So your hip has to really activate. Your glutes have to stabilize in order to protect the knee. Um, how did you do ACL? Man, yeah, it was I, looking back, I could sort of see how it happened. So I grew up playing a lot of basketball, league, and rugby, and I had no mm. problems. It was when I got into um, to CrossFit. And yeah. I think I was fit and I felt more explosive. <coughs> I stopped like a change of direction stuff and yeah I think, I think my body um, wasn't i went to play in the sevens like um it was just like a sports camp sevens game and i had yeah. to pull back and i think i just 
I wasn't conditioned like for change of direction. I was just sagittal, mm. playing, like up and down, and, like, and yeah. running was just pretty straight, you know, up and down. Yeah. Whereas before I was playing basketball and um, was it rugby and stuff, so you know I didn't have a problem with that. And then, yeah. And then first time, you know, I tried to step off my left foot, boom, gone. <laughs> I didn't yeah. see it back then like how it would happen, but now looking back, I was like, because I didn't play, um, you know, too much sports around that period of time. Yeah. Life. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of the a lot of the occurrence is knee valgus, but knee valgus is a common it's it's a common movement that happens in your sport. And but the issue is a lot of the times with athletes, and you know, I mean, it comes down to tendon health as well. But with a lot of the, and tendon elasticity and tissue like general tissue health of the tendon and the age of the athlete. But um, yeah, generally trunk trunk flexion knee valgus and then uh sorry trunk rotation with knee valgus is it's real common so one of my athletes he he was on the court and he he got hit by someone and then he went to pass and then he rotated the opposite way to his knee and then that internally wrote his hip internally rotated and then you know goes his acl yeah. so it's just one of those things that in a lot of sports can you control can you can be do you have enough strength at the hip do you have enough stability and strength through the quads and um, the ankle to be able to control those very fast tempo dynamic movements which is just some sometimes i mean you look at a lot of the rugby athletes when you start to add contact and even basketball is technically contact once you start to add contact add contact it's really hard to be able to prevent some prevent that sometimes yeah. um, but the biggest thing athletes can do is make sure that you know they do have enough quad strength especially hip strength when you're hopping landing changing direction a lot of that power and movement protection comes from the hip um, and the core so a lot of strengthening through the hip for acl rehabilitation is really important but also obviously the quads i mean it all comes down to it um, um, but the, one another thing is that if 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 an athlete hasn't been exposed to high intensity you know, change of direction, uh, drills and movements, and then they then they go into a sport, there's a high reoccurrence of that or there's a high injury risk of that even occurring just because they haven't had um, any exposure to uh, change of direction drills. So in your case, you haven't really been exposed to change of direction drills and then you're into high-speed, high-velocity change of direction drills, which, you know, it's just one of those things that there's always a risk. With Formula One, there's a risk with... <laughs> You know, you know, look at most sports, high intensity sports, there's a risk. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things, you know. Yeah, it's like before I was just <laughs> and then I, I was similar to yourself in terms of like I fell in love with the gym and then I did sort of like almost too much of the gym and I probably should have just kept playing a little bit of pickup sports to keep yeah, you know, keep keep agile and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so now like as a trainer now, like um, I'll coach a bit of basketball. I see a lot of like knee injuries and stuff like that, or or ones um, you know building to happen sort of thing. So I'm trying to like you know help the kids not go with through the, young, the young kids. Yeah, not go through what I've been through because yeah, know, like I said, it's annoyed me for ten years. You know, I've still been able to do everything, but I don't feel quite yeah. the same with my left foot. You know, I'm a little bit hesitant. Yeah. Yeah, I want to try to help kids avoid that sort of thing. So thanks yeah. for sharing your insights. And
yeah, with young with younger kids, I'd say even just coming out of lockdown now with a lot of the athletes I've been working with and kids I've been looking after in teams, excuse me, with a lot of these kids, the issue is is that when they get some downtime or they go into summer, they just don't do anything. And a lot of the times it's not just it's not just their strength and their movement movement uh, capabilities. It's also the fact that you know they haven't prepared preseason or off season um, going into their sport, and that's that's another issue we have with a lot of the younger athletes. And it's hard because I never had that discipline growing up, um, so it's really hard. And their their growing bodies, their tissues, their their nervous system, everything's still developing for the demands of their sport while also they're trying to get better at their sport really quickly and they all want it now. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that athletes, especially young athletes, they need to do stuff. They need to stay active in their off seasons. And, and, and even in, during this time in COVID, I, I said, said to a lot of my guys, you've got to keep training. I've given them more guys. I've given them everything under the sun that they've got to do, but they've really got to make sure that they do it because as soon as they return to sport, and that's why we have a lot of injuries coming out of COVID because as soon as they return to sport, it's it's 100%. For a lot of coaches, they don't taper the volume or a lot of organisations, which I'm actually trying to work on with North Harbour basketball at the moment. Can we taper a lot of these athletes back in their return to sport? Can we can we slowly, gradually increase the loading back into, into their return to play? high intensity play so that's one of those things that a lot of the kids they need to make sure they're staying active they need to do their homework and eat their vegetables and do their one percenters as you call it um but yeah it's, it's tough because you know i like i said i never had that discipline i don't know about you but i never had it <laughs> no that all, all of my you know some of my boys listen to this so you know, listen in, man, like stay in shape, guys. Some of the yeah. parents who listen in and um, other coaches, you know, keep your keep your athletes active. It makes mm. sense, eh, if you think about it. It's a, yeah, well, it's, chilling, doing nothing, and then all of a sudden, you know, right yeah. into it. People ask me about the science of why you need to do it. I'm like, you, it's the simple rule of you, 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 you don't use it, you lose it. You know, if you don't if you don't stay active, if you don't keep muscles active, then you're going to lose the stability, proprioception. You're going to lose um, activation awareness. Um, you're going to lose um, the ability to control. Like you think of a lot of the kids that even before or in the season they've been developing a lot of these skills, and then they don't train that throughout, say, COVID or through summer or whatever that may be, or if they're in lockdown, they go straight back into their sport. The chance of injury, like it's just common sense, the chance of injury uh, risk is so much higher. Yeah. Just because they haven't been exposed and then now they're going straight back into high intensity uh, play. So it's just one of those things that, you know, a lot of these guys just need, or these kids, even even the older athletes. I've worked with a lot, a lot of older athletes that in their off season, they just want to chill. They just want to relax. They just want to go to the beach. They don't want to do anything or they come back, say they've done a year in college and they just come back and they just, they just don't want to do much. You know, they just want to, they just want to see family, enjoy their time. But I'm like, now's the time to work. Now's the time to prepare your body for the next season. And um, going back to Corey Webster, that's the one thing. I mean, he had, I don't think he had a a proper off season for like 
think it was like four or five years or never. I can't remember what he said to me. And then he had four or five weeks with me leading into that World Cup and it gave his body time to readjust, um, rest, but also prepare for the load that he was going to be exposed to um, going into the season of the tournament. So an off-season is really important. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I've sort of noticed the um, like the athletes from you know, the sports that I follow, league, rugby and basketball, the guys that have like long careers they sort of they stay in shape all the time like even like oh, yeah you look at LeBron yeah you look at LeBron like his movement his squats shit um, I love love to I love to bag LeBron's squat I love LeBron but his squat's terrible but um <laughs> and he his squats he's got a terrible squat but he's one of the best most athletic yeah athletic uh athletes on the planet and that's going back to saying like a lot of basketball athletes they're doesn't matter how what level they are, their movement patterns could still be poor. But anyway, um, he he's got a terrible. Uh, sorry, he's he's the type of athlete that every off season he will work. Every um, every chance he gets or downtime he gets, he's working. Same with Dwayne Wade. Same with Dwight Howard. You look at Dwight Howard. I don't know if you, you used to watch him back when he was in Orlando. Like he was my favorite player in high school. And you look at him now, he's in the same shape, but he works like every every offseason he's working. And he's probably not as athletic, but he's close to being as athletic as or as he was back in the day. And just because he's always looking working and taking care of his body. Um, but again, it's just that going back to if you don't use it, you lose it. If you stop, if you stop working, if you stop, if you get lazy, um, you're going to regress and you're going to regress in multiple areas of your physical attributes. Yeah. I've got, I've got um, a nephew, he plays in the NRL and like, I've got, um, you know, a lot of friends and family have kids and yeah, I, you know, they, they're coming up and they sort of like ask questions, you know, what does it take and stuff like that. But like they're, they're just not on that level. Like in his off season, he's I don't want to get in trouble. He's he's always playing basketball. Like he's always training. Like he, but he looks for like different things to keep it fun. Like he'll train yeah. with different friends or different family, different yeah. environments. But you know he'll he'll relax a bit and have a few drinks and and some. Yeah, oh, it's important. Yeah, from he the sweats it out, you know. Yeah, from the psychology view of that is uh, sports psychology. A lot of athletes just need that mental rest. Yeah. Uh, that break so some for some athletes that's great and then some athletes are more gifted than others some are master compensators they they can do everything wrong and i've trained a lot of athletes like this they can they can put in 30 to 50 percent of the effort as a, as what another athlete would but get twice the benefit out of it out of that out of that training with me and that's just because they're more gifted and um, they can get away with more. And you see that a lot with a lot of the NRL athletes, I would say, um, are the juniors more so than anyone um, coming up there. A lot of those guys are just gifted athletes. Um, and it only takes two to three weeks of an off-season and they're back in shape. Um, you know, so a lot of those guys, they're just, oh, it's just amazing to see. But again, like I can't do that. I've got to you know like i've i don't i don't really play basketball anymore but for me if i wanted to return back to basketball um i would need at least six months to a year to really <laughs> to really prepare um and get my get my jumping back get my change of direction back get um get a little bit of those elastic capabilities developed but um yeah you just get some athletes that i mean yeah you just get some athletes that i mean they're they're going to be good no matter no matter what they do 
you know and um not everyone's like that and and as athletes get older they do lose that and you see that a lot with a lot of nrl guys they'll be good they'll be good for the first five years from between their 18 to 23 to 24 and then they just start to break down and that's just because they don't do their one percenters and they've never developed that discipline that's going to carry over to the their later stages in their career um, and that's one of the biggest things too is you know if you don't develop the discipline one athlete i'd love to <clears throat> i'd love to give a little bit of a um a bit, bit of praise to and this is um tane murray so tane murray who's now of virginia he would be one of the most disciplined athletes younger athletes i've ever had on a team uh, i don't have to tell him to do his his foam rolling i don't have to tell him to do his activation pre-game he's already there doing it so that's a that's an a, a, that's the type of athlete that sh- will probably have a long career because he's already doing that stuff now at what 19 years of age so again it's just it's one of those yeah that's one of those things that you can't sometimes you can't teach but, but the athlete has to learn the athlete has to get injured they have to regress they have to have um one of those things where okay if you're not working it's going to affect you later on in your career do you want to make a lot of money for a long time and have a successful career or do you want to have a short career and be a one and done you know so i mean it's it's something that's also it's depending on the athlete too they don't have a lot of support you get players like you get a lot of talented players coming out of new zealand now basketball rugby um all different sports and they just don't have that someone behind them telling them that like i never had that you know my mum, my, my mum was great she'd take me to all my games and things like that she'd, she'd definitely tell me to slow down but i never had someone saying like you've got to be disciplined i had to sort of think about that all myself back then i never i had coaches but i had never really had someone there all the time supporting me and that's the hard thing too for a lot of these athletes and then that's where i come in in my role as a trainer and that's why i love working with younger athletes i'm always that extra person in the air saying you've got to do your one percenters you've got to do your extra stuff and i'm sort of that big brother like figure to a lot of these these younger guys and girls so I mean, it's been a lot of fun, man. Um, thanks, thanks for you know sharing your insights into you know SNC and how um, athletes can look after their body um, long long term, you know, longevity, uh, and sharing um, some of your your journey as well. You know, overcoming so much and um, you know really um, driving forward to succeed and whatever you do, man. Just uh, just last question, just uh, your vision for the future. You know, some goals, anything that you're working on. Um, oh, yeah, it's hard to say the vision of my future because I never really expected to be where I'm at now. So <laughs> but yeah, yeah. What, I, what I do want to do is increase my, um, I mean, I've done every course under the sun that you could probably think of already, but I do want to move up the rankings in terms of my, my university level sort of qualifications. So I'd love, I'd love to even just finish the post-grad and potentially do my master's. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a real uh, literature um I'm not, a, I'm not a big nerd. Um, I like, oh, I am a nerd, but I'm not a nerd. Like, I don't like studying. So we'll see see how I go with all that. Um, but, yeah, I just, I just, in the future, I'd love to work with more sport teams. I'd love to work in the ANBL. I'd love to work with a lot of the younger athletes coming through New Zealand, even even more to a higher degree or at a higher position. 
one of the biggest things I struggle with now is running my own business, not having security, but also, how would you say, I'm not focused just on strength conditioning. So I'm personal training, but I'm also doing strength conditioning. I'd love to be in a role where I can just do strength conditioning. I can look after one team. That's my focus. So to work in a place like the ANBL would be a dream um, where I can just focus on one team. I get paid a salary, for example, and then I have no stress because I can just focus on that and I can focus on just being good at that or to work with a college team in the USA. So that's really the one thing. It doesn't have to be now, but in the next 10 to 15 years, that's one thing I'd love to do, whether it happens or not. I mean, you know, you can only try. Yeah. I'd love to get into it, even in my later uh, stages of my career, I'd love to get into a teaching role, back into teaching, um, especially strength conditioning. We don't really have a good, very good pathways here in New Zealand for that. Um, and it's really lacking. Um, so yeah, I, who knows? I mean, I'll be working out of a new gym. So I worked out of City Fitness. Well, I was in the same gym for 11 years or 10 years, no, 10 years in the same gym. Um, so under the same building um, with Club Physical and City Fitness. So now I'm going into Hoop 33, which is based in Wairau, which is basically a gym and a basketball court attached on. And so a lot of my athletes, they can you know, they get the best of both worlds now. So that was opened by Zach Fitzgerald. Um, he, he used to work with Westlake and North Harbour Basketball. So he's sort of, uh, it's amazing what he's, you should really come out and check it out, but it's, yeah. it's an amazing facility. So that's a great opportunity to work there and just do my own thing out of there and just keep growing, keep learning. Um, but yeah, who knows? I don't know where, what, where my career is going to take me. Uh, I sort of need to get a bit lucky too in this sort of profession. <laughs> Yeah, I need a bit of luck for once. I need a bit of luck because I mean, tried everything. Um, and um, yeah, it's just one of those. I mean, I, I, I love New Zealand. I'd love to stay in New Zealand. Uh, myself and my partner have uh, bought an apartment that hopefully gets built next year. Um, so I've paid off my student loan and we're, we're, saving, we're saving towards um, this deposit for the apartment. And we should hopefully move in next year. So hopefully uh, we get some stability and um, or financial stability in these times. And, you know, I just get to continue doing what I'm, I love with no stress. <laughs> That's the key. That's the dream. Just yeah. doing what you love with no stress. Yeah. You know? Nah, it's so. cool, man. I think it's a cool vision, a cool, cool goal. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I have a lot of goals, financial goals. But with my career, um, definitely – I mean, one day working for a team and then getting paid by that team and just focusing on those athletes um, would be a great experience. And then even developing into something bigger later on, how can I influence a number of people rather than just a team? And um, I mean, at the end of the day, we look, we look back on our careers as coaches or even trainers. Like it's all about how many lives we can positively influence really. So, I mean, but it's also... You know, we, we do want to get that. We do want to get back what we put in at the end of the day. And, you know, financially and um, intrinsically, we want, to, we want to be able to be rewarded for the time. Like, you think of even for yourself, how much time have you put into your studying? How much time have you put into learning and into the athletes that you train? So you want to get that back out eventually. Um, so at, at the end of the day, 
for me to have both of those covered would be a dream. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, Logan. Uh, appreciate your time and um, cool. sharing with us, Thank you. Appreciate it.